This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Shannon Pruitt. Shannon is the president of SMPI Marketing Group and was previously the CMO of The Honest Company. Shannon has an extensive background in marketing and has also worked as the president and CEO of the Story Lab and a vice president of integrated solutions for Warner Brothers. On this episode, Shannon talks about branded original content, creating great consumer experiences, and how to effectively work with influencers. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And... My co-host in San Francisco, Lauren Vaccarello, what's going on? Hey, not much. How are you? What's happening in Oakland today? Uh, you know, actually, funny enough, I'm in Palo Alto today in studio, in our lovely studio here in, in Palo Alto, and we have a special guest, Shannon Pruitt. What's going on? Hello. Nice to talk to you guys. Yeah, great to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. I'm coming at you from kind of sunny Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, recently rainy Los Angeles. Yeah, recently. most recently rainy a lot of days in Los Angeles. <laughs> you know, sunny now. I feel like California has had such like a damp, damp winter, which is just none of us are used to. Well, we're having yeah. this crazy butterfly phenomenon, right? Where all the butterflies are migrating from Mexico. It's, it's so incredible to see all the butterflies and how they're kind of making their way through. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. It's incredible. Not unlike the butterflies in my stomach with how excited I am for this podcast interview. <laughs> I <laughs> like the transition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we were super excited to, to have you on the show. You have a really interesting career with stops at MasterCard, Warner Brothers, uh, the Story Lab, and most recently, Honest, the Honest Company. We're going to get into all that. We're going to talk about developing customer relationships, influencer marketing, storytelling, and branded entertainment. Some stuff that's pretty close to our heart here at Mission and how some of the lessons from uh, you know direct-to-consumer brands and all that. But first, how did you get into marketing? I got into marketing actually at a very young age. I was actually in high school and I had a teacher who believed in me more than I believed in myself. And I wrote a paper around in business school and he, or in business class. And he said to me, you should really think about working in marketing. And so I proceeded to join a business and marketing club. And I started a company when I was 18, we entered into a competition. We won the national title and that was really my first entree into marketing. And then, you know, over the course of the years of going to college and all of that, my first job in marketing out of college, because I was a teacher in Japan for a couple of years before, was for a sports marketing company working on World Cup for MasterCard. 
And it was a fascinating way to learn about what it means to be a truly global brand, would have to appeal and entice consumers at a local level to use your cards, to buy into the equity of the bank that's issuing the card, and to wrap all that up and, and have them use it because you are the sponsor of FIFA World Cup. Yeah, that's interesting, especially around events, because it's something that is so oftentimes so much work for such a small time period, but those memories that people have around events last for so long. I mean, you know, especially the people who go to the event, but people remember a lot of those different things. And, but yeah, brands are so pivotal in the creation of events. Like they are quite literally fund the creation of most of these events that we love. Yeah. I mean, they're enabler of experiences, right? And I think we're finding that a lot now, you know, a long time ago, you know, those events were often used as B2B experiences. So you would invest not only to try to incense consumer to do something, right? Use your card, buy your product when, you know, whatever that looks like, consider you in a different way, but also as a B2B hospitality opportunity to influence decision makers and things like that. And I think what's interesting about today is, you know, when we talk about you know, millennials and Gen Z and they're, you know, this, this sort of very colloquial statement now that millennials value experiences more than they value things. You know, I think that the reality is, is, you know, brands have really dove deep into how can we take these experiences and light them on fire to create fuel and momentum for our brand that will create love and adoration and usage and loyalty and all the things in a, in a way that we've never seen before. Yeah, with all that fire, it's almost like we should create a festival just to, hey, that'd be a great name. <laughs> That's a great idea. You know where we should have it? In the Bahamas. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, on a really small it. island. If we could really get celebrity small. sponsorship on that, that'd be... Yeah, that'd be and good. we should do a big social media campaign I get some with pigs, some influencers. Yeah. Some swimming pigs involved. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll be a hit. Really good, really good stock photography and video. Yeah, we should film it all too, for sure. You know, it's funny though. We're good at some point. Our our producers keep asking us to do a uh, lessons from Fire Festival for an episode of Marketing Trends. So maybe we'll do it in the future. If anyone wants to, if any of our listeners want to give us some ideas, just send an email to team at marketingtrends.com. We'll take a look. But I think that there is a lot of truth in how that experience played out with specifically with younger culture about being part of the moment, being in the moment. And I think that's what a lot of, you know, what you're saying about this movement where you have direct to consumer that brands can immediately reach out and have an impact on their customers in a way that they never had that access before. You know, they would have to go through some third party or, you know, be on the shelves of some store or whatever, but they didn't have a relationship they were building, the only way that they would build that relationship is with advertising. And now that experience is completely changed. What did you see at the front lines from what you were working on, both at Honest and in your previous roles? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I, you know, you experience, you know, sort of used to be isolated to this notion of an event, right? 
but now the experience that a consumer has and is in every interaction they have with the brand, right? Which is why I think that, you know, when I got to Honest, I actually renamed the team the consumer experience team so that we could really think through the lens of consumer first and that every time they touch the brand, regardless if it was through a newsletter or a blog post or on the shelf or on the website or at a pop-up or whatever that looked like, the integrity of the experience was always intact. And I think, you know, that really originated though from my time at the Story Lab and before that in my time at entertainment companies like Mark Burnett and Fremantle with American Idol and Simon Fuller and really this notion of that every point of interaction is an opportunity to tell a story and the story can be short, it can be long, as long as it's creating value for the consumer, that's what's most important. And so I think the notion of brand experience has changed so much in that, you know, we know brands no longer really have to always rely on a third party to draft off the credibility or equity of someone else's experience. They're really owning the experience themselves. And, you know, brands like Glossier and these brands that are really creating this momentum is because they truly own that direct to consumer relationship through the lens of how every interaction with their brand is truly a memorable experience. Do you think that those experiences, maybe let's just go into it. Let's just go into it for a second of, of, you know, your, your time. Let's just, let's just have some laughs here. Tell us a little bit about that time at, at Warner brothers and with, with Mark Burnett and the type of things that you were working on, because I think a lot of marketers struggle with how to tell stories and you were around so many stories and so many impactful stories that people know and really household names that people talked about, that they shared with their friends, that they that there are podcasts and blogs and shows and after shows about. Like what were some of those learnings that you had, you know, working in, in Hollywood? I mean, it was such an incredible learning journey for me to be with truly the best storytellers in the world. You know, some of the most creative people that you could ever meet, but their ability to translate their vision into a story, but driven through the lens of whoever they were speaking to or sharing that story with was a skill that for me has guided my entire career. And I think, you know, at the time, my role was really around all things commercial. So how to help make those stories translate into what brands wanted to do for their business and then translate those needs through that story, through that platform, through that equity into 360 degree marketing campaigns that were based off the IP. And to be able to create those, you know, whatever we're calling them now, omnichannel, 360, whatever pan channel experiences for, for their consumers of the brands was a really, at the time, it was interesting because it was completely based on fandom. It was yeah. based on someone falling in love with American Idol because they too could see themselves singing into a hairbrush in the mirror. Yeah. They too could see themselves getting up on a stage at a karaoke venue and being a rock star. They too were a business expert that could come up with a better advertising campaign than the next person. And everyone could see themselves in these people. And then you were, you could use that as sort of 
a way to then say, okay, well, what's the ethos of your brand? Like, what do you deliver, right? You're Maybelline. Maybelline, you care about helping people express themselves. Let's create a whole rock your style campaign around American Idol. And P.S., you can't have the television rights. You won't be on air unless you buy advertising spots. And everything we do will be based around this little blue logo. And so, you know, trying to really get creative about how to do that and how to package it all together was so foundational for me as I moved into a career on the buying side because, A, when I went to the buying side, suddenly I had all this data that I could say, okay, I actually understand truly like what you're doing, when you're doing it, how you're doing it, which lets me extrapolate contextually and behaviorally why you're doing it, which means that I could actually create something for you that will, I know will move you because I know it will meet a certain need for you or it will be aligned to a certain passion area for you or aligned to the behavior by which you consume this kind of content or experience. And so it, it fundamentally changed the way that I think about marketing in a way that has guided me through my career and hopefully I like to think delivered successfully for my clients in the past, but also formed the way that I have a, a different point of view and thoughts about how to be a modern day marketer. What were some of those shows? What were some of the shows that you worked on and some of those kind of brand integrations that, that you were doing? I don't know how much you can share, but it's such a fascinating glimpse into how you can build really high engagement campaigns around content. Yeah. I mean, I, the first one, so when I first started, when I left MasterCard to work working in advertising after working on World Cup for them and, and Major League Baseball and some other NFL and stuff, I went to work for Simon Fuller at 19 Entertainment and he was the creator of American Idol or the Idol franchise. And Idol was in its second season uh, when I started working for him. And the interesting part about that deal structure was that Simon owned the music and the talent and the touring rights. And then it shared the rights with Fremantle in terms of production and distribution globally. And when you come to think about it, so when Idol started, right, nobody wanted to buy it. Fox picked it up because Elizabeth Murdoch was like, oh, we should do this show. And so they did it finally. And it went from a small, let's do seven, seven episodes to a $2 billion franchise in the time that I worked on it. Um, and that was against two different companies, right? I worked for both Simon and Fremantle later, but you know, that included everything from American juniors to idol gives back. We raised $180 million in one night on television okay to go to a number of charities and we didn't know anything about how to do that. <laughs> you know, we had to figure all of that out <laughs> and how to do artist rights and philanthropy and, you know, but we had this amazing catalyst of a brand that people loved. It was the brand that taught America to text, you know, thank you AT&T for coming on board. And we did the first ever Apple deal where we actually downloaded music from the show. And I remember there was a point where Ryan Seacrest, when we were, on, we were in the middle of the live production, went and took his call from Steve Jobs because he wasn't happy with the call out. <laughs> um, you know, oh there were all these like crazy experiences that I then get the call from Nigel Morris to be like, what are we going to do? I'm like, we're going to do exactly what we've been doing. Just keep going. <laughs> 
And so, you know, it was just this like really incredible time. And then, you know, working for Mark Burnett, it was all, you know, don't hate me. None of us could have predicted what would happen next, but I worked on The Apprentice for years on both the Martha Stewart and Donald versions, you know, which were well and early into when actually the producer, Mark, he had all the rights, literally all the rights. So when we would do the deals, we would negotiate giant packages with, you know, alternative distribution. The networks weren't digitally distributing. So we'd go do a deal with MSN or we'd go do a deal with Yahoo. And we would package all that up and we would own the time and the inventory. And then we would package it and sell it to a brand. And we would go, you know, we weren't just doing a show when we did Rockstar. We went into the business of music with Rockstar or the business of boxing with Contender. And then those environments were really small, right? And you, you had to be fast and agile and resourceful. And you had to think around the corner all the time because you had to be able to anticipate, A, what might happen within the context of a live environment. B, if there was a producer that wasn't going to want to do or change their mind. And C, a brand who, this was still a relatively new space for them. They were paying a lot of money and they really wanted to think of this as a commercial for their brand. <laughs> and so helping to translate that and fluidly navigate it in a way that everyone ends up happy was also a test of like collaboration and compromise and you know, how do you see all sides of the equation almost before everyone else can see them to help them resolve their problems before it becomes a problem, <laughs> which might also be the byproduct of having divorced parents <laughs> at a very young <laughs> and being the oldest child. And then, you know, stepping forward, then it was shows like On the Lot and then America's Got Talent and American Inventor and Gold Rush, which was the first ever digital sort of live experiential show before it's time, you know, I think it just was such a robust learning ground in a way that even today, when I try to synthesize my experience to people, like I tell recruiters, like I need to tell my own story. <laughs> yeah. Because if you look at my resume, you'll be thoroughly lost and confused about how all these dots connect. But if you let me tell you the story it will, it will seem like a build that all is meant to be about where I ended up today and where I want to go next. I think it's fascinating that all of those shows and which ended up leading to, you know, if you look at just the, the through lines of all of those shows and Survivor and now Shark Tank and all this stuff, they have this element of transformation. The person who's watching, like you said, they see themselves holding the the hairbrush and you see the highs and the lows the people who are not prepared or not you know quite good enough and then you see the people who come in as like this raw kind of talented person and then you see them go through this crucible and there's like highs and lows and tears and all this stuff and they come back you know out the other side and sometimes they're part of your life for the next you know however many years like Carrie Underwood or somebody like that. And sometimes, you know, they they become a one-hit wonder to go away or or whatever it is or, you know, become president. But I think it, it's it's a wild it's a wild ride for the listener, for the reader, for the viewer to go through that stuff and I think that brands want to be associated with transformation. They want to be a character in the story of these people that they're spending their time with. Did you help them see how they fit in? Like, and how did you do that? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, that was really in many ways, my job was to either help was both to help them see and then help the executive producers see, right. How could a consumer packaged goods brand fit into their show about taking 12 rock stars, putting them in a mansion and then letting them sing weekly to compete on a live stage in front of Tommy Lee, helping to craft that for them and architect it in such a way that a it's mostly their idea. And then B that the brand too could see it in a way that didn't feel forced, that didn't feel like they were just paying for visibility. And, you know, the, really the way to do that was to understand, you know, what does the brand stand for? You know, what's important to them, what creative agencies have done well for a very long time, which is to try to find that one thing that will bring what is a stagnant thing, right? A brand, right? To life and make people change people's like hearts and minds about why they should consider buying it or using it or whatever. And I think that was really actually my job. In many ways, I served that role, which was let me really understand what it is you stand for, what you're trying to do, you know, how is that translating creatively? What is your current creative? And then how can I take that and take the sort of ethos of the show or the property or the IP and say, okay, here's how those two things fit together. Now here's the creative manifestation and sort of the sequential storytelling opportunity of how all those things fit together anytime you will interact with American Idol or The Apprentice or Rockstar or any of the shows that I was working on. Do you think that, I mean, I, I kind of look at these types of content as like this episodic, consistent thing that's in people's life that's their favorite show or, you know, one of their favorite shows that they can kind of sit down on the couch and watch these experiences. And then, you know, the next season, it's a new thing. And it's kind of like the show is the thing that perpetuates. And there's the kind of rotating cast of characters where brands can be integrated in a way that is like consistent over time, which is kind of a stark contrast to some of the more like evergreen written content, like for example, Friends or Breaking Bad or something like that, where the scripted stuff that, you know, could last for 50 years, like, you know, you might not go back and watch season two of Survivor, but you might go back and watch season two of Breaking Bad like 10 times and you'll show, sit down and show your kids or whatever it is. Do you think that it, it kind of feels like marketers need to be able to have their hands in both things, these like evergreen pieces of original content that really grow over time and can be exponentially valuable and the thing that is constantly in people's lives in a repeatable way? Yeah. I mean, I think if you, you know, I always believed that marketing, all marketing should be how we define content marketing, right? Which is it's valuable, it's relevant, and it's at the time, place, and way that you want it, right? And to me, that means really then truly understanding consumers and their journey and, you know, what they care about beyond what you think about what they care about, about like that one brand in that one vertical, you know, consumers are multidimensional, right? So I'm Shannon Pruitt. I love fashion and home design and philanthropy and doing good and entertainment and music, but more specifically in music, I like live music, right? And, you know, you start to kind of go down that path and you realize that 
if I understand the whole of you, then I can actually offer you content in the various things in which you're interested, but in a way that I can rightfully incredibly have a role in that. And, you know, kind of back to honest, you know, as we were, as we were looking at the strategy for the company in the coming year and thinking about, you know, what kind of content should we be thinking about when it comes to helping moms from a wellness point of view? What does that need to look like? What are the things that will be valuable? How will it be valuable? You know, is it, you know, in a short snippet? Is it in a picture? Is it in an infographic? Is it in a long form video? You know, what are those things that are valuable to you? And is it based in inspiration? Is it education? Is it more utilitarian? Is it simply a coupon? You know, like there, you know, when you think about content marketing as something that doesn't disrupt your experience, it is the experience because we understand you so well that we will offer you as a point of value wherever you are when you're there, mapped to the journey that we obviously know about you because we have all the data in the world. You know, I think that's when you start to say, okay, as a brand, like if I could think like that and behave that way, then there's room for both of those areas. There's room to be ever present. And there's also room to do these larger, more significant, what I would call programs that highlight a specific element of something that you stand for as a brand, but is culturally relevant for consumers and that means something to them. And those two things can come together in a way that is designed to create some sort of action or reaction. Do you think that CMOs, the way that they should approach these type of engagements are, you know, we talk a lot about like A-B testing and split testing and all this sort of stuff. Do you think that making bigger bets like this, like if someone wanted to go and do something like this for, I don't know, Shark Tank or something like that, how should they go about that decision-making process? What would be like your, Shannon's, uh, you know, pitfalls and best practices on on how to approach something that's kind of a bigger, potentially more expensive, higher touch, more engaged kind of piece of partnership? I mean, I think first and foremost, you have to know what success looks like. You know, what is your reason for being attracted to this as an opportunity or to wanting to create an opportunity? right? And how does it ladder back to your overall business? Because ultimately, you're going to have to justify it to someone. (laughs) You know, why did we spend that money? And what did it do for the business? Because, you know, CMOs are as much as like, you do everything, it's what don't you do, you know? And, you know, you're everything from a data scientist to a creative genius, and a financial, you know, forensic accountant around every dollar that you spent and a customer service expert and a content expert and a creative expert and a performance media and search optimization expert. Like you have to be all of these things. And I think, you know, as I would look at it, it, it would be that what's the holistic need of the business? What do we need to do? What are the things that are worthy of highlighting that we might want to create a bigger stage for. And whether that's a particular message or a barrier that we're trying to kind of break through as it relates to what people believe about us, a perception, you know, we want to just be in the consideration set. You know, we used to do this at StoryLab all the time. You know, we actually had full-blown systems for how we would take our clients from, investing in just in very small partnerships to huge 
television upfront buys that had multiple iterations of integrations and partnerships and all of these things or huge partnerships with global partnerships with Facebook to do huge consumer insight studies that resulted in Chevy winning the Facebook business creative awards because we did the largest insights of study ever done. And then we did a, based off that, we did a whole campaign around resolutions, but all tied back to the notion that people didn't understand what finding roads meant, which was their tagline and resolutions around new year's are universal, but there were all these key insights and we were able to mine those and create these programs and then create the corresponding elements to that program that actually move the needle, right? It actually, you know, when they did the study later, there was a 600,000, I think, participants in the messenger bot, people participated and there was a percentage increase. I can't remember the exact number, maybe 30% increase or something in terms of the, the increase in the awareness of what the tagline meant and what five new roads meant around the world, right? So those are the things that I think if you're going to invest in something like that, it needs to move the business needle somehow. And you need to be testing for that. So there's A-B testing and A-B testing should be done, which can be done basically through a Google tech stack at this point on every piece of creative that you've ever wanted to make in your entire life, right? But when you're going to go and invest in something like a television integration or a big idea with a big platform, whether that could be, you know, Facebook, it could be a Netflix show, it could be Google, it could be anything, right? You need to be very deliberate about why you're doing it. What is the news or the desired outcome for you? What do you want people to be talking about or saying about it? And then ultimately, how are you going to tie that back to a revenue implication, a return somehow on your investment? And again, it couldn't, doesn't have to be a metric that is tied to revenue, but it should certainly think about how does it contribute to, if it's consideration, for example, or a brand for me, how does that contribute to the longer term revenue outlook? Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think you've done so much around that media creation, especially, you know, like with your time at StoryLab of bringing in so many complex partners. And I think that that's one of the things that, you know, when you're talking about how only you can tell your story Part of the thing that I think is difficult and what is so complex about being CMO today is there's infinite options. You know, back 50 years ago, there just weren't that many options. And now you have infinite options. You can partner with all sorts of media companies. You can do all sorts of types of content. And each content platform has different points of intersection. Where is it on the customer journey and how does it um, affect your funnel? Did you ever feel overwhelmed or confused about like where to go or what to do next and kind of what did you do to, to fight through that stuff? Oh my gosh. You know, I think, I think that on the creative side, I always had a handle in it, right? Because at a certain point there were only a certain number of studios or meetings you could take and all of that. I think with the advent of data and ad tech, at least from a CMO perspective, and, you know, so it used to be like, I would have to know you, or I would have to get an introduction to you, or I would have to offer you value in, in exchange for your time. And the notion of technology driving sales now as a mechanism to just get in your inbox has, 
I would argue, created a completely different dynamic in the way that this sort of transaction dance works. And so while the technology might be relevant and it might be the best in the world, every tactic from, you know, just a, a hello, I would like to have a meeting with you to I must have missed your call, which feels deceptive, to I can't believe you haven't emailed me back, creates this dynamic that as a person on the buying side for the last eight years is challenging. And I think that the things that I always responded to, whether it was on the data side or the creative side or the influencer marketing platform side, no matter what side you're on or you're coming from, is that if you offer, if you offer value and then you do it in a way that's thoughtful, it's going to get you a lot further. But it does all of these offerings and whatever does create sort of this paradox of choice, right? And yeah. You know, in order to find out what's the right one for you, you have to spend the time. And the reality is, is in today's environments, you know, CMOs and brand marketers and even agencies, which is why they actually rely heavily on their agencies, just don't have the time. And, you know, and if they do have the time, it's very difficult to give it proper attention unless it's specific need that the person, you know, the brand marketer, CMO, et cetera, is aware of and they're trying to fill it actively. Yeah, I mean, for especially for new projects. I mean, like if you're talking about like a brand that for the first time in their whole life wanted to do, um, you know, wanted to be a partner on American Idol, for example. First off, they have to learn what that is even like. You know, like they're going through it for the first time. And, and you know, this is what you talked about with customer experience is like a lot of times you have to show them you know, how to buy, like marketers are going into this experience without knowing what this even should look like or feel like. And they're like, what are the benchmarks? I, I know what we want to achieve, but like, what are the benchmarks that you've seen from other folks or things like that? And it's just, it can be super overwhelming. And a lot of times, you know, when I say confusion equals no sale. Well, confusion also could mean a missed opportunity. And like you're talking about earlier, for CMOs, a lot of times it's the missed opportunities that that haunt you. Uh, they're like, oh, I wish I had tried Snapchat when it was only at 100 million users or whatever they're at. I don't know. But yeah. And I, you know, I think that you get pretty good at forgiving yourself because you have to. You know, I think I, I feel quite fortunate having moved into a CMO role after having been on the agency side in many ways, because you get so exposed and educated about all of the different technologies, partners, platforms, creative deal models. But, you know, I think I'm so glad that I had all of that experience, you know, which in some ways makes you probably too innovative in certain environments. It makes you go, well, we could do this and this and this, and we should be doing that. Why aren't we doing that? We need to do that tomorrow. Right. And so I think as you, as you go into being more of the CMO, that's like, okay, I need to lead a team of people to be able to envision and architect and then do it depending on what stage you're at, right? In terms of the growth of your company and the growth of your brand and all of that. I think that the agency side was a great education for me in terms of, you know, so that I was never intimidated by the companies that I was meeting. Right. I was never like, 
oh, what do you do? Like, oh, I understand what you do, but why are you different than this company? And that for me was a great thing, but I did find it interesting once I was CMO at Honest, like that it was almost like a double down on the outreach. And it was truly, it was just impossible to keep up. There's no person in the world. And if I find them, like I live in adulation of that because for me, actually that kind of volume actually compromised all of my human sensibilities, which are to be kind, which is to be thoughtful. I was on the sales side forever, which means that I did, you know, want to respond to people, but I, there was no possible way to do all of that and do my job. And so that had to be the things that went away. And if that became a missed opportunity, then that would just be something that I would have to own and, and hope that I did better next time. Isn't that the crux of it? I mean, Lauren, you talked about this a while ago when I think it was like HBR or whoever came out with the study that CMOs had bigger budgets than CIOs or something like that. And you guys, and you said that your phones literally started ringing off the hook. So you had to all of your friends unplug their phones. Oh, completely. It was, uh, it was Gartner and they did the, they did a report on the average, the spending power. And as soon as people realized the spending power of marketers, I feel like every marketing leader that I know suddenly got rid of their office phone. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, and if they can't get you on the office phone, they figure out how to get your cell phone. Right. And, and you get caught off guard, right. Because you're waiting for a call from your kid's school or your, you know, whatever. And it is just created sort of this wild, wild west of, of transaction, right? And I always loved to believe that we were, and I still believe that, you know, even as marketers, we're in the relationship business. You're not in the transaction business. Your job, best marketers will build relationships with their consumers. They will take the time to understand them. They will then craft experiences for them that are meaningful. And ultimately that will translate into sales. And obviously there are short-term goals for that and longer-term goals for that. So I'm not, you know, Pollyanna enough to believe that like, oh, we'll just reside it all to relationships and it will take care of itself. But at the same time, like this technology enablement has really created this transaction almost inhumane. Like a lot of the sort of some of the notes that you would get that were like just following up, like the sort of, I can't believe you didn't email me back, you know? And I'm like, but I didn't ask for you to email me and I don't know who you are. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm very sorry. I just don't have the time. And then, you know, some people would email me like three or four times and they would be really kind. And then finally they'd catch me in a minute where I was like, yes. Okay. You know, I'm sorry. We just, we're, we're not in need of that right now, but I really appreciate your note and I will reach out if something changes. But it was just, it has created this, new dynamic in the marketing world that is going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. And I, I feel like you, you're probably a little bit nicer than I am, at least with the no, thank you. Thank you for reaching out. We're not looking for this at this time. I also feel like because of a lot of this, the, the quality of outreach has gone down pretty dramatically. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. So when I was at Honest, you know, a lot of the people really loved the brand um, because they had had, they had small children, they used the brand and, you know, that is both a way to develop a connection, right? As a sales tool, but also genuinely they use the brand and they love the brand. So 
that always was something that I struggled with because if I was able to open the email and I read that, I always felt like I needed to respond because they were a consumer of the brand. And so their relationship and experience with me as part of the brand was just as important as their experience on shelf or with a customer service rep or on our Instagram feed. And so that was a real struggle because there was this love and affection for that brand in particular in a way that as a singular person without somebody helping me answer all of my emails was just impossible to keep up with. Influencer marketing is at the forefront of kind of like a hot thing and influencer is I think more loosely defined than ever before. I think, you know, if you go back a long time, the idea of influencer marketing is as old as products being sold, right? Somebody who is more popular than I am, if they, you know, use and promote my product, then people will buy it sort of thing. You know, one of the, one of the huge advantages that you had was obviously Jessica Alba at Honest being such a dynamic person. How do you view like influencer marketing? We've seen it in so many different formats. We did a whole, basically a whole episode on it with 40 lessons from 40 years of Apple ads and how much they used influencers and celebrities and all sorts of people to promote Apple products. People use it in a bunch of different ways now. What have you seen? Um, what's your like latest take on how influencer is, is done right or wrong? Yeah, I mean, I think we did influencer marketing at the Story Lab and we're sort of early into it um, in terms of offering it as a service to our clients. And I think for me, you know, influence is really just about relevance. And so I admire something about you. I respect you for some reason, you know, all of these things. And then that creates this notion that you are either an expert or a person that I should trust to the point where I'm willing to believe what you say and go do what you think I should do, right? And I think, you know, the world of, of influencers as we think about them now is only going to get stronger and bigger. You know, I think to your point, right, it's the tale as old as time. Celebrity who were on screen, you know, there was a time when film and theater, you know, theatrical celebrities would never dream of doing anything in, in service of a brand, right? And then they started doing that, but they would do it overseas. <laughs> then all of a sudden they're doing voiceover, right? So then they started doing voiceover for, for different pieces of creative. And if you were, it happens to be like the one skill I have that like is my sort of weird superpower that I can identify voices in VO like nobody's business. But like that was, that was the other way to start doing it, right? And then, you know, now it's very normal to see what we would have thought as traditional celebrity talking or representing brands of all kinds, not just luxury. And, you know, now we have creators and even recently Instagram announcing that it's trialing the shoppable commerce with 20 or so fashion and beauty brands to make its platform truly a seamless shopping experience. And the reality is, is that will continue to be a thing and the investment in those people and in what their relevance is or their sphere of influence will be the thing that we have to think about in terms of how do we price it? How do we measure it? Right? How do we know the contribution of that back to our bottom line, to our budgets, to our overarching outcomes? You know, again, it's not just about, oh, we did this one thing with these influencers this one time and here was the impact. 
certainly that's the case, but how is that contributing? Is that person aligned to your values? Are they creating influence for your brand in a moment in time? Or is it something that you're going to work with them on an ongoing basis? What does that contribution look like over time? And so I think there's a, still a lot to be figured out around influencers. And one of the reasons that brands rely heavily on media-driven influencer opportunities with partners like Influential or Influicity or you know so many of the big influencer media platforms is that they can buy it in a way that is is normalized for how they attribute media value because it gets created as added value. And so it helps to just make it something that they don't really have to worry about other, you know, because someone else is also helping you vet the background checks and like do all of, you know, manage the creative and all that stuff. But also the way that it's being accounted for is accounted for in a more traditionally accepted form of measurement within a brand's marketing ecosystem. Yeah, one of the things that we learned early on in, in working with Jeffrey Wright and Alec Baldwin and working with their agents and all that sort of stuff, you know, it's what it turns out is that, you know, whether it's actors and actresses or musicians or whatever, they want a good script. They want something that appeals to them and the stories that they want to tell. And so often brands just want them to talk about the brand. It's like, give them something that they feel passionate about. Like when we worked with Jeffrey, he wanted two stories told that he wanted told in a specific way. And we were like, absolutely, we'll write those for you. Like it was that type of stuff. And ultimately like the sponsor of that content gets a richer, more dynamic experience. And the listener gets a more dynamic experience because he was adding value into the creation of that content. He wanted it told in a certain way. And I think that most people look at those type of engagements and they just kind of just say like, well, here's the script, talk about us. And it's like, there's got to be more thought put into it than that. One of the things that when I was at Story Lab and would talk about influencer marketing and what I still believe today is, you know, the reason that you partner with influencers is because they are relevant and influential to their audiences who you would have done the due diligence to know that that is also your audience. And so understanding that it's through their voice and their creative message that will be m the most power and influence for your brand, allowing them to craft that experience, you know, with your input or with your sort of approval, if you will, that will give you the most benefit in terms of connecting with their audience, but also for your investment. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think that the way that people are going to go about that is fascinating because micro influencers and, you know, I mean, it's, it's such a silly term, but it's, I don't know, someone's got to come up with something better, but it's fascinating that there are people out there that have massive amounts of like network effects or uh, engagement or whatever it is um, on their social channels or you know, their email newsletter, whatever it is, whatever, whatever channel they have of influence that your whole team might not have ever heard of, nor know is an influencer at all in the space. There's people like, like there's a great guy on, uh, on Twitter, uh, who goes by brother nature, who's basically like, 
like Brooklyn's version. I think he's from New York or Brooklyn or something like version of like Steve Irwin. And he like goes and hangs out with animals all day. And this dude has millions of followers and is just bringing cool stuff into the world every day. And how do you partner with that person? How do you find that person? Did you have any best practices on like how to work with influencers? Yeah. I mean, I think it was always sort of started with who was vetting them based on, you know, what are we trying to do (laughs) and what is, what is the interest of our consumers, right? And then who fits that profile and what do, you know, what did their audiences say about them? Like why, why do their audiences seem to care so deeply about what it is that they have to say? Um, and how does that align back to our values and, and what we can sort of rightfully and authentically talk about? So just to kind of check those boxes first and then, you know, and then you do all the, background checks and all that. And then, you know, I always believe that treating an influencer like a human, but also helping them understand, you know, not, not talking to them as if they are a media channel, but certainly helping them understand, you know, why is it that you're trying to do what you're trying to do? What is it that you're hoping to accomplish? What does success look like in your eyes? How, based on what you're trying to do, you know, there are some things that you want to be mindful of as it relates to your brand, but that you're open to creative collaboration and sort of thought partnership as it relates to the end experience. And, you know, obviously then there's understanding things like budget, how much does it cost, all of those things. Um, And then sort of understanding, you know, distribution cadence and timing. And it's basically being thoughtful, measured and planned and understanding kind of what's, what are they trying to do? What is their, what are their end goals? Like, what are they hoping to get from partnerships like the ones that you're proposing? And then how can you align those values to try to create something more meaningful, much like what you were saying about when you were working with Alec and Jeffrey, right? Like them having, there was something that they also wanted to do and achieve. And so how can you both be facilitators to help one another? Yeah, I would add that if you go into the relationship thinking, how can our money enhance the content, it will be a more productive partnership. Because I think that a lot of times, like the partners that we work with are all about making the content better. That's what's so exciting about, you know, working with Pardot and working with Salesforce and and, and Twilio and a bunch of the other folks that we work with is that they always want the content to be better, to reach more people, to be more impactful. Like, especially with influencers where a lot of times, like just going in there and like jamming a CPA deal down their throat is just not going to make the content better. It's really not. And I think that a lot of times marketers, you have so much power with how much money you can bring to the relationship relative to, to the partner that you can make really cool stuff. You could say like, you know, in the brother nature thing, it's like you can send him to Australia. You could do whatever. Shout outs to him, by the way. Uh, I don't know him, but good, good content. But uh, but I, I just think that there's so much opportunity there to add value and to make and that person will love you for it. You know, they'll like you'll really make a difference in their life. Yeah, totally. Shannon, it's been awesome having you on the show. We hope that you'll come back soon. This is beyond illuminating and all of these stories and anecdotes and lessons are are super helpful to our audience. Next time when you come on, we'll do the lightning round. Uh, So that's a teaser for the audience. And, uh, And just thanks so much for hanging out with us. 
thank you so much. It was so fun and I appreciate your time and your indulgence of my storytelling. Um, but it was really fun and I appreciate it. Yeah, you're the best. Oh, and uh, and follow her on the Twitters at Shannon Pruitt underscore. Don't forget the underscore. Forget the underscore. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster, and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.